Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over to Ephesians 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. I feel like I'm in a wind tunnel, Hoffa. Good? All right. We'll figure it out. So we are currently in the middle of a vision series as a church, um, and, and I, I said to you guys last week, you know, the reason we're kind of taking a break for a second from our kind of normal operating procedure of just, hey, here's a book of the Bible, we're going to study this together, uh, was to just really, especially after Easter, just kind of hit a reset button and give some of you guys, because we got a lot of new faces here, just an idea of like who we are, why we exist, where we're going, uh, and, and what we think God wants us to become. And so last week, we talked about kind of the, the first kind of linchpin piece of, of why Aletheia Church exists in Gainesville and why we're here. And, and what we said was that, um, w- that we exist for God's glory, that that is the entire reason that the church exists in the first place. And really, it's why you as a human being have breath in your lungs and why you exist, that you exist to bring glory to your God and creator. It's the reason we gather. It's the reason we pray. It's the reason we study uh, God's word. It's the reason we serve. It's the reason we tell other people about Jesus. It's because we are after making much of God and bringing glory to him. That is the whole reason we exist. And so today, we're going to move into uh, the next kind of piece of what we think makes us distinct and unique and and makes us who God has called us as a people to be. And that is uh, this value of being what we call being the everyday church or going beyond Aletheia. We kind of wrap those two things up together. And this is strategically timed. It's a reason why the reason why we're doing this particular value this week is because this is church planning Sunday. Uh, nationally and internationally for the church. It's a Sunday that where the church recognizes the role church planting has in building the kingdom of God. But then also for us here at Aletheia, we celebrate this a couple times a year, but it's Sending Sunday for us. It's where we recognize those of you guys who have been with us for a number of years, who have been a part of the ministry, and God is calling you on to the next stage and season of life. And so let me read, kind of like I did last week about God's glory, just our definition of the everyday church, and then we'll dive into Ephesians together this morning. So church was never intended to be a building. Church is the people of God on mission with God. God's church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. Though we gather weekly to sing, celebrate, pray, praise, and sit under the faithful preaching of God's word, this is not the totality of what it means to be the church. The Sunday gathering exists to refuel and recharge the body of Christ, so that they can be launched out with gospel intentionality into their organic spheres of influences. Places such as the classroom, the office, the playground, at home with kids, and a number of other places. To do this well, we must engage, encourage, and empower people to live out everyday community, everyday pastoral care, everyday mission, and everyday evangelism. 
And so we're going to look at the book of Ephesians this morning, and we're going to see how Paul really, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, is emphasizing this. That that is the goal of what he is trying to do. And he, when he writes this letter, really, if you've ever read the book of Ephesians before, you'll understand that this letter is kind of like Paul's capstone or, or uh, most important writing on like, what is the structure of the church supposed to be? What is the church supposed to be doing? Why do they exist? And where are they going? That's, that's really what we see as we read that letter. And he's speaking to the church at Ephesus on why they exist in the first place, why he planted a church there, what God desires for them. But he's also speaking to us, and this is the beauty of God's word. He's speaking to us in this room this morning, because here, here's what we're going to see this morning. The church is not this crappy cafeteria that we meet in. The church is you guys. The church is me. Right? The church is us collectively Loving God, having been changed by the power of the gospel, and with that intentionality in us, living to the glory of God to make much of him in multiple realms. And so I've got to give you a quick 30,000-foot view of what we miss in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Otherwise, some of what we're going to look at this morning might not make any sense. So in Ephesians 1 through 3, the, the, the book is very, very heavy theologically. If you were to read those three chapters, you would see all sorts of various things uh, taught in those first three chapters, and they would be heavy theologically on truth, who God says we are. Really, if I had to sum up the first three chapters, I would say that what Paul is trying to communicate to us is he's trying to make sure we understand what our identity is. Who, who are we really? I was talking to a student a couple weeks ago on campus when we were going out and inviting people to church and doing evangelism. Yes, we do that where there's weird people that walk up and initiate conversations with complete strangers. And one of the things I said to this young lady that we met that, that day, I, just, I looked at her and said, so why are we here? She kind of like had this like look like, I didn't think anybody was going to ask me that question today. Right, if, you, if you boil down the religions and philosophies, right, that's what they're, the question they're trying to answer. Why the heck are we here? Are you a random collections of cells hurtling through the galaxy at a couple, how fast is it, Ivan? A couple hundred thousand miles a second? I don't know. Very fast, thank you. That is our PhD uh, physics major over here. Let's give him a hand, right? Earth is moving fast. Thank you, Ivan, for that. Are you a random collection of cells gathered with other random collections of cells on this rock that's hurtling through space? Or is there more to you than that? And what Paul teaches us right in those first three chapters of Ephesians is, yes, you are way more than a random collection of cells. You are way more than just the biology of who you are. That there is a God who created you. And that God who created you created you for his glory. And, and that here are some things that are true of those who know God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the true God. Right Here is what is true of them. That, that you are chosen. That you are granted sight as a follower of Jesus. That, that you are alive, truly alive for the first time in your life. 
that you are adopted, meaning that you've been given a family when you didn't have a family, and that with that family comes unity, that you have purpose. You know why you're here, that, that if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I should be able to ask you, why are we here? And you should be able to answer that question for me. Because God has given you purpose and meaning beyond what makes you happy. And that lastly, right, he teaches that God is our strength and that that strength is rooted in our identity in Christ. These are facts that Paul lays out for us in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And so when he gets to chapter four, he makes this major shift in transition in what he's trying to communicate in his letter. And so he's going to move from who God is and who we are in light of what God has done to talking about how do we walk in light of that identity and truth. So the first three chapters are, hey, guys, all of us here, you are the church. You are God's people, a chosen nation, right? You are his. Then when you move to chapter four, he's going to say, okay, now church, now that you know who you are, let's go. We got work to do. We got stuff that we need to be doing to make much of God, and here's how God wants us to do it, so let's go. And so let's look at the first six verses of Ephesians 4. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. all right. So just so you guys know I'm not lying that I said he was going to transition, look at the very first word in chapter 4. It says, therefore. Right? It's this transitional link that indicates to you that Paul's getting ready to shift focuses of what he's been talking about previously. Right? So he's saying this, in light of our identity in Christ, right, here's what we need to know. In light of our God-given identity, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? See, see what he's saying there? He's saying, out of your identity, live this way. This is, this is going to be a major kind of shift that we need to think through this morning, church, so you're going to have to hang with me, okay? Most people who identify as Christians and call themselves followers of Jesus work from a place of no identity and try to follow God's laws and commands to earn identity. And what Scripture teaches us and what Paul is making clear to us as we read Ephesians together is that you are already given an identity because of the work of Jesus Christ. And because of that identity, any commands that you see, any requests of God, calls to mission, to, to live a certain way, to walk in obedience, is from a place of identity, not to earn identity. And then he, he, he says this, right? He's like, okay, from your identity, 
live this way. And he lists a number of things in these first six verses of, of what the church is called to be, right? Notice one of the first things he points out is he's, he wants them to maintain unity. It's one of the major hallmarks of the church is that the church is supposed to be a place where the people of God love one another despite all their differences, cultural, language, socioeconomic, education level, that the people of God are supposed to figure out how to live with one another with all of those different differences because we have one unifying thing in common. We have a dad and a creator of the universe who loves us and has invited us into his family. And so God desires for his church to walk in unity. And in that unity, right, he lists a number of things in there. He's like, walk with humility, right? Walk with gentleness, walk with patience, bearing with one another in love. If, if, you, if you can't kind of tell, right, the main kind of theme of what he's saying in those first six verses and how he's calling us is he's saying maintain unity, but then he's telling us all the things we'll need to do to be able to maintain that unity. And he's like, hey, Humility, that's a good thing. Humility will help maintain unity. Gentleness, yelling at people, not effective for unity, right? Patience, that's effective for unity. Impatience, not so much, right? And then I love this last one, bearing with one another in love. Church, let me just share, this, is, this may come as a shock to you this morning. There are people in this room that annoy me sometimes. My wife's laughing because she's like, you annoy me. You're one of those people. Like this, this is a, a fact and reality of life, right? But what God is calling us to is that in those inconveniences, in those annoyances, that we can still choose to love and serve God with one another despite that. And, and this, is, this is how this, this works, right? This, this idea of our identity being rooted in Christ. And so we are a part of the family of God. I've used this illustration before, but I want to communicate it again. This is how Jackie and I kind of discipline and correct our children. Right, so when, when our kids do something, we have, we have standards in our house. The big one, if you went and asked my kids right now, right, like they would say, hey, like, what's the big rule in your house? Both of my kids better answer this. We listen the first time. Right, that, that is like the spoken and unspoken rule of our house. When mom and dad say something, you listen the first time. We don't do the counting thing. We don't have like a discussion about whether dad has the merits or the ability to tell you what to do. It's like, dude, when you reach adulthood, you can jump off the roof of the house head first if you want. But as a kid, no, you're not going to do that. Some of you guys are like, what? When you have boys one day, you will understand. These are like ideas that they concoct in their mind. Like, what is the way that I can seriously injure myself as quickly as possible? And so, so in our house, right, the rule is listen the first time every time. And so oftentimes when like we're correcting our kids, it's usually because we gave a, a, a direct command and it wasn't followed. Right? And, and with our, our sons, right, as we're disciplining them and talking through things with them and, and sharing about God's love for them despite their choice to disobey authority that God has placed in their life, right, one of the things we have to frequently remind our kids of, and especially Gideon, because Gideon, he just kind of has one of those personalities where he heaps condemnation on himself all the time afterwards, right? Right. He, he's like a, a great example of God's grace to me because that's not how I operate. I'm like, I can do whatever I want, right? 
Right? That's not how Gideon operates. Like when he misbehaves, he's like crushed over the fact that he didn't even follow his own standard. And so he'll heap this condemnation on himself, right? And think that, that mom and dad don't love him anymore and that he has to earn back our favor, right? And one of the things that Jackie and I frequently have to remind him, hey, Gideon, these rules and these standards that we set in our home, they're not so that you can be a part of the family. You already are my son. You already are Gideon Anderson. You have my last name. You are my child. And these rules and standards that we have in our home are things that we ask you to follow because you are a part of our family, not to be a part of our family. And church, it works the same way with us, that as God lays out rules and prescriptions, one, he knows what's best for us, but two, he's laying these out saying, follow these because you are already my child, not to become my child. That what was secured for us in Christ was that we were given an identity and we live from that identity, as Paul says here, being one body with one faith, with one Lord, one God and Father. Right? He's saying, church, right? I, I planted you. <laughs> I was your pastor. Right? I taught you this. You know who you are and you know who you are because of Jesus and the grace that he has poured out on you in the gospel, that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that you are chosen, that you are granted sight, and all the things that we mentioned previously. And Paul is encouraging them. He's encouraging us to say, knowing who you are should motivate us to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and love with one another as the body of Christ. Then look at what he hits on moving into verse 7. Right? He says, hey, here's our calling. Here's what we're moving towards. As we move towards unity as the body of Christ, right? notice this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. I, guys, I love you. I do not have time to walk through verses 8 through 10 with you. But let me just say this, don't overcomplicate it. Right? Jesus left the throne room of heaven and came to earth for you. Right? Don't, don't overcomplicate what's going on there. But what I want us to focus in on is I want you to look at verse 8. Right? Paul quotes from Psalm 68, verse 18 here. And if you, if you get time, I would encourage you later today, as you go home and you're thinking through this sermon and you're thinking through God's word and his calling on your life, go back and read Psalm 68. And what you're going to notice in that psalm is that Psalm 68 is a victory hymn. Right? It's a song that, that David wrote, singing about God delivering victory to Israel. And, and it was common in uh, ancient Israel that the, the king would return from a great battle and the people would be there waiting for the king to come back and to celebrate. And that's what you see in Psalm 68. 
And what Paul is doing here, right, as he quotes Psalm 68, is he's saying to us, again, as the church, he's saying, okay, guys, I know I just told you to walk in humility. I know I just told you to walk in patience. I know that I just told you you need to walk in, in unity and love with one another. But I need you to understand that we're doing this as an act of celebration because of what Jesus has already done. Right? We walk in obedience as an act of celebration for what God has already done. And it's, it's easy sometimes, right, some 2,000 years after Paul has written this letter, right, I think it's easy for us in this room to get lost in the fog of really dissension in our culture. Amen? Right? It's easy to get lost in the fog of politics. Right? It's easy to get lost in the dichotomy that gets created against various sports teams. It's easy to get lost in school or work or family issues or health issues and forget that we have much to celebrate even when things are hard. That we have been given victory in Christ. See, Paul is reminding the Ephesians. If you know anything about the church at Ephesus, I mean, they dealt with a lot of persecution. And he's saying to them, he goes, I know things are hard right now for you, but you still have reason to celebrate. Life and eternity for you are better now than before you were given your identity in Christ. He's saying, look, this is true of all of us. Every one of us in this room was born separated from God in open rebellion to him. God, in his mercy, sent Jesus to live a perfect life according to the law and the will of God the Father. And then Jesus, through no fault of his own, went to the cross to satisfy the wrath of God for our rebellion because it was the Father's will for him and he acted obediently. He willingly gave his life to satisfy the wrath of God. And on the cross, he defeated sin and death and proved that three days later by raising from the grave to show that he had put sin and death to open shame. He is victorious. Our Father is victorious. The sin you struggle with has no power over you any longer because Jesus has defeated it. And I'm not saying, because some of you guys are going to be like, okay, is this one of those name it and claim it things, Kevin, where you're telling me, like, if I just declare it, I'll never struggle with sin again? It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the judicial power that sin had over you to send you to hell no longer has power. And that that death sentence that was proclaimed over you because of your sin has been canceled and paid in full by Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. He is victorious, and because he is victorious, church, we are victorious. And there is nothing that can stand against the power of the gospel. And so Paul is encouraging them, celebrate. Guys, if you're saying like, well, I don't know what unifies us as a church. That, that truth is what unifies us. 
We can disagree on eschatology, but let's not disagree on that. About what Christ has done for us. And we are called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. God's word to the the Ephesians is to encourage us to unity and to live victoriously through Jesus. And in that victory, we are called to be on mission with one another as the everyday church. He spends the next three chapters of Ephesians unpacking that for them. And I want us to look at just those few verses that Brent read for us this morning to focus in on what it means to kind of be the church on mission together for the glory of God in light of everything that we know to be true about what Christ has done for us. Look at verses 11 through 16 with me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. By the way, notice, if you're, if you're ever asked later in life, some of you guys might go into full-time ministry, and anyone ever asks you, what is the key to a successful, vibrant, growing church ministry? Love. Right, not a fog machine. Not Josh Green leading your worship team. Does a great job. Love. Love rooted in our identity in Christ and love for one another. It's almost like Jesus said something like that at one point that the greatest commands could be summed up in those ways. Right? And so what we see, right, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given his church, we first need to understand how the church is, is to function. Okay? Guys, what I'm about to share with you, some of you guys may know this already, some of this may be like a huge paradigm shift for you on what the church is supposed to look like. Okay? If you look at verse 11, right, here's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. God gives leaders to the church to fulfill specific roles and duties. Tracking with me so far? So he's, he gives us these leaders. And you, you could ask this question, well, why? And here is where the church often makes its first critical error. It fails to listen to the second half of verse 11 and into verse 12. God gives leaders in ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Church, who are the saints? All of you. If you are here this morning and you are a disciple of Jesus and you are in Christ, you are a saint by definition biblically. 
So here's what Paul is saying. Leaders are given to churches to equip you, the Christian, the disciple, the saint, so that you might do the work of the ministry. Right? So often, right, churches operate this way. Right? Oh, I just need to get my friend or my coworker or my one to church so that the professional Christian, the pastor, the worship leader, the bass player, whoever, can then lead my friend to Christ and then disciple them and disciple my kids, and disciple my grandkids. No. That is not what God's design for his church is. Right? God wants to use the leaders in your life to equip you for the work of the ministry, to build up the church, to walk and work towards unity, to grow in knowledge, to speak the truth in love, which is another word for a couple words for evangelism. Right? That God calls us collectively to be these things, that God gives leaders not to do the work, but to train you to do the work and to work alongside you. Guys, this is what the desire of the elders of this church is to be a picture of what Paul paints here in Ephesians 4, right? We want to, for the glory of God, right? Have you, one, understand how beautiful and magnificent your creator is and how deep and vast the love of God is for you in Christ. And with that knowledge, equip you to use your specific gifts and talents that God gave you so that we might collectively come together as the church in unity and be the everyday church to reach our neighbors, to reach our friends, to reach our coworkers, to reach our family members, to love one another well, so that we might display the excellencies of Christ to the world around us. Let me share something with you. 2020 was hard, was it not? Here's something that I loved about 2020. Our church, you guys, put your money where your mouth is. And you displayed that the church was not a gathering, not a building, not a place, but the people. I mean, guys, for goodness sake, we baptized people like two weeks after coming out of stay-at-home orders. That happens because you guys grab hold of this vision that you are the church, not the place we gather and meet, not the event. Not saying these events don't have meaning, but that we come together to encourage one another, not needing a church service, not needing a special event or a crusade, or, but just living out the realities of God's love for us in Christ so that we can provide community, pastoral care, mission, and evangelism to our city. That is God's desire for us. That is God's calling on us. And that is what we will continue to pursue and be as a church. So let me, so let me, let me distill this down for you. 
If you want to go and listen to some great worship music and hear a sermon and be in a place that's comfortable where you only have to give an hour of your week to loving, loving God and you, know, you raise your hand and whatever else and then you go and live the other seven days of your week and the other 23 hours of your day or however long we hold you here, however you want, this church is not going to be a good place for you because the leaders and the people of this church will ask more of you because we love you and ultimately because we love God. And here's the deal, right? We need you, right? I've got four things I want to share with you guys. I, I, I made these up. I stole them from scripture, right? Four keys to living out our calling as the everyday church, right? Let me share these with you. Right, these are, some of these are practical. Some of these are, are, are just things we need to know. Right? But four keys where I, I believe if we do these things, we will live out what we see God asking of us here in Ephesians chapter 4. Right, number one, know our identity. Got to start there. Right? The gospel gives us identity and purpose. Right? If you're still tracking or struggling to track with how I've been saying that throughout this message, right? just go read Acts chapter 9. Right? And you will see the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, go from trying to destroy the church and kill Christians to planting churches and loving God. Why? Gospel identity. The trajectory of his life was changed to the point where not only was he given this identity, but he was happy about it. Right? He calls himself throughout his epistles a prisoner for God. It's like, yeah, I used to be this really high up leader in the, in, in the Jewish uh, church, really, really uh, respected and valued intellectual. And now I'm just a prisoner for God and I love it. Right? Because God had given him identity and purpose. And we are given that same identity because if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called in the same manner that Paul was. Chosen by God called by God, forgiven by God, and loved by God. No, I'm not saying that you're going to be blinded on the road to Damascus. But the same thing is true for you as it was for Paul. I mean, guys, let me just encourage you for a second. Do not allow the cares of this world, the reality of this world, and the suffering of this world that you may experience cloud the fact that to this truth, that because of Jesus, you are loved and you have an identity, and that cannot be taken from you. It cannot be taken from you. That's how much God loves you. From knowing that identity, right, number two, know that God equips us for this mission of unity, for this mission of being community, right? Doing mission, doing evangelism, doing pastoral care for one another. Now, let me read verse 7 and verse 12 to you again. Right? He says this in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then down in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Pause and think about this for a second, church. Because this is important to understanding why we're here. God chooses you. 
God bestows his grace upon you. God gives gifts to you. Then he gives leadership to help you learn about those gifts and equip you to use them. And then you have the task of using those gifts to glorify God inside the body of Christ. Humor me here for a second. Look to the person to your left. Okay? Now look to the person to your right. If you're in the front row, look behind you, because none of you, all you guys are Baptists, you just want to sit in the back rows. You need that person sitting next to you. You need that person sitting behind you. You may not even know who they are. I would encourage you, by the way, to introduce yourself after service. You need that person more than you know. You need their prayers. You need their encouragement. You need their gifts. You need their wisdom. You need their testimony. Guys, my marriage may have been shipwrecked multiple times if it weren't for a few men in this church. Lovingly calling me to repentance and calling me on my junk. I'll never forget a couple years ago calling Pastor Derek mad as a hornet at Jackie. Right? And, and then he's like, hold on. He calls Pastor Brian in on a three-way call. So I know I'm going to get it at that point. <laughs> and I'm just like venting. And Derek goes, Kevin, I love you. Like, I know. You're an idiot. Stop. Sometimes we just need to be told we're an idiot. Some of you guys, I know that that's harsh, but it's okay. God still loves you. And God still loves me, despite the fact that I'm an idiot sometimes. At church, we need one another. Some of you guys have just the most amazing gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you. You have gifts of hospitality, mercy, serving, generosity, evangelism, leadership, faith, prayer. Do you know that the gift of administration is a spiritual gift? And I love those of you guys that have it. The church needs you because we work together collectively for the glory of God. We want to encourage you here to discover what those unique gifts and talents are that you have and then help you use them to make much of Jesus and to encourage others to do the same. And if you feel like we aren't helping you enough, ask. Pastor Kevin, I don't know what my gifts are. I'd love to help you figure it out. By the way, here's, here's a key. Here's some keys. If you're here this morning, right, and you take nothing else away from the spiritual gift portion of this. I don't know what my gifts are. Two ways to discover them. One, just start doing stuff. You will find out very quickly what you're good at. Two, ask someone who will tell you the truth, right? Don't ask, you know, mom. Mom lies because she loves you, right? My mom would have told me, yeah, you could be a full-time worship leader. My wife is dying laughing in front. Like, dude, you cannot sing. And for the sake of the body of Christ, please do not. That might not bring glory to God. Right? 
ask someone you trust. And then here, here's the third one, and I always love this one. If you walk into something the church is doing or a part of something or you see Christians doing something and you look at it and you're like, they're not doing that very well. You probably have a gift in that particular area. And I love people that will come in like, hey, Kevin, have you thought about this? Nope. Clearly you have. Want to fix it? That's what the church is supposed to be, right? We need one another to be able to do this. I can't do this alone. Guys, my mercy tank is real low. Stephen's in my discipleship group. He knows how low it is. But there are other men and women in this church who encourage me and correct me back to the place where we need to be so that I might imitate Christ. We need one another so that we can make much of Jesus. Number three, right? Know our identity, right? Know that God equips us for this mission, right? God gives us those gifts. God gives us leaders. We just need to simply follow his design. Number three, pursue maturity. Right? He says that in verses 13 through 16. Guys, I've noticed something about myself, and I don't know if you know this to be true, but as I gaze across the landscape of the world around us, I'm really good at seeing problems, I'm really good at complaining, and I'm not good at serving and providing helpful solutions. And what that says to me, can anybody else relate to that? Okay, like seven of you are honest, thank you. Right? What that displays is a lack of maturity in my life. And what Paul is saying to us here is that from our identity, we are called to, as the church, be doing these things in unity and love to be growing into mature manhood. Right? Verses 13 through 16 right, says, grow up. Grow up. And by the way, I don't know how old you are here this morning. It's never too late to grow up. It's never too late to pursue maturity in Christ. Right? Proverbs 9, 6 says this. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Right? Leave the old ways. Walk forward in God's design. We need to know our Bibles, we need to know our God, and we need to use our gifts to make much of Him. And then number four, maybe I'll leave you with a little bit of encouragement. Know that the everyday church on mission is God's vehicle to change the world. God wants to reconcile the world to Himself, and He wants to use you to do that. He doesn't have to use you, but he wants to use you. Right? Remember the, the therefore in verse 1 of chapter 4? Look at what he says right before that. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God chooses to use us 
his church, his bride, to display his power and glory throughout all generations in Christ Jesus. And you and I are privileged, and I use that word intentionally, privileged to be used by him to expose the glory of God in Christ to others by sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. All for the glory of God. Guys, we desire to do that here in Gainesville. But not just here in Gainesville, beyond Gainesville, to the ends of the earth, so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. I told you guys earlier that, that this was church planning Sunday, right? And I just we're going to spend the remainder of our time just kind of reflecting on God's faithfulness to be using his church to change the world, right? So we're part of an organization called Acts 29. Right? It's one of our affiliations. And this Sunday, right, all Acts 29 churches are celebrating church planting Sunday, right? Acts 29, if you can't tell, is a play on the book of Acts, right? What they're saying is we... Those of us here this morning are the continuation of the book of Acts. That God's faithfulness in the first 28 chapters of the book of Acts is continuing today through his church. And that what God promised all the way back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that we will be his witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that God has been faithful to that promise. Right? So here is how just in the organization of Acts 29 alone, right? we're also affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, but I don't have their statistics, so I can't share them with you this morning. But just in Acts 29 alone, here is what God has done so far. He has, there are a total of 684 churches worldwide that are preaching the gospel every week. 25 of those were planted last year in the middle of a global pandemic. Those churches represent 44 different countries and nationalities, 31 different languages. The gospel is preached. Last year, 6,567 people's lives were changed for eternity through the church. Just in affiliation with Acts 29, by the way. There were 4,852 baptisms. Some of those guys were in this very church. Some of those were in our sister and daughter church down in Colombia and Barranquilla, a church that we planted over five years ago. Guys, God is at work, and he wants you to use the gifts that he has given you to be the everyday church, to mature into the full nature and stature of Christ. So here's my, here's my call to us this morning, right? Get involved here. Get involved in your campus ministry. We partner with all of them. We love all of you, right? We just want you to be on mission, being in community, being in God's word, repenting of sin, receiving the mercy and forgiveness of Christ, and resting in that identity so that we can live out the mission that God has called us to. Provide community every day, not just on Sunday morning, 
to provide community every day, to provide pastoral care every day, to provide mission every day where we are serving our city. There are are people in this room, guys, who serve this city faithfully with things that are not tied at all to this church. Some of you guys have jobs where you just serve people all day. Teachers, amen. Nurses, doctors, amen. Where you are called to be a beacon and light to the gospel simply by your vocation. And doing it for the glory of God. And then living out everyday evangelism, right? Loving your one, sharing the hope and truth found in Christ with them. And guys, God will be faithful. The fact that you are here this morning is an example of God's faithfulness. We came here nine years ago with 18 people. We didn't know anybody. I got made fun of because I would tell people, they're like, what are you spending most of your time doing? I'm like, I'm knocking on apartment doors, inviting people to our Bible study and walking on campus. We were like, are you Jehovah's Witness? I'm like, no, I just don't know anybody. It's literally the only way to meet people. I don't know anybody. Guys, a church was started that way. And now it's you guys faithfully, right, in your organic spheres of influence, being the church. And church, I promise you this. God will be faithful to us. He promised he would all the way back in Acts 1.8. And some 2,000 years later, the church still stands because God is faithful. Will you bow your heads and pray with me that God would continue to be so and that we would follow in obedience to him? God, thank you that we have an identity in you. God, thank you that you love us and you equip us for mission. Lord, will you help us to pursue maturity and change the world for your glory? And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could get the other elders and pastors to come up here real quick. And if you are part of the group that contacted Theo for Sending Sunday, will you come on up too? We want to honor and recognize you guys this morning. Right? One of the things that um, we didn't, I didn't touch on as much in the sermon this morning, but it ties directly into this value of being the everyday church is something we call going beyond Aletheia. And we, we mean that both in like the organized events that we do as a church body here in Gainesville, but we also mean that we believe that God has you at Aletheia for this season and this time so that whenever your time in Gainesville is done, you will leave here equipped empowered and encouraged to live out this God-given mission wherever you're at, right? So if we can get those people to come up here, we've got a gift for you guys. Theo, do you know who they are? Do you want to yell names if they clearly have forgotten that they're graduating from school here? Here we go. Guys, if you look over here to my left, your right, you'll notice these are people that were key members of this church who have gone on to other places, right? And now are living out gospel mission and intentionality all over the country and in some places, different countries, right? And so wherever you guys are going, 
right? We're excited for you. Um, Stephen, will you grab that microphone? We're going to let each one of them just kind of share what their plans are next. And if they don't know, right, as Daniel Espy says, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and we'd be happy to tell you what it is. Right? But if you guys just want to share your name and what, what God's been doing over the last couple of years and what you're doing next, we'd love to hear that. My name is Josiah Moody, and I really hope that God has a wonderful plan because I have no idea what I'm going to do the rest of this year after this semester is over. But um, I've been in Gainesville for a while, been at Lathia for about two years, enjoying uh, being a part of the community, and um, am hoping that he works and, and does a lot in the next six months to come. So I'm excited. I'm Julia. Um, I graduated from UF, where I will be graduating this semester with a degree in public health. Um, and I'm not sure where God's going to put me either. I know that I'll be here throughout 2021, and my husband is going to be commissioned in the Navy as a medical entomologist. Um, he's getting his master's degree now, so the Navy will decide where we go, but that's also in God's hands, so we're excited to find that out probably next year. Uh, my name is Nathan, and I'm wrapping up my time at UF here with a degree in mechanical engineering, and I've been here at Alathia for a little over a year, and I'll move, in, move into Atlanta in June to start a job. Uh, my name is Matt. Um, I studied graphic design, uh, and I'm very thankful to be moving back to Orlando to do the fellows program there. Uh, hi, my name is Laura. Um, I'll be graduating from the College of Nursing, and I'll probably be moving back to Orlando um, to work in the hospital there. Um, Rafa, I am graduating with a uh, bachelor's in biomedical engineering, and like surprisingly a lot more people than I thought, I also don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> yeah, but I'll stay here for at least the end of the summer but I've also been here for a while, for about three years now. My name is Gabrielle. I have been here at Alethea for three years. I'm now graduating, well, in a couple weeks. I'll be graduating with a bachelor's in, well, I'm really nervous, applied physiology and kinesiology. Sorry, it's also very mouthful. Hey, we have some AP day. <laughs> Um, so this summer I'm going to Northwest Africa uh, for two months, and then after that I'll be moving to Kansas to do a long-term missions-like training program, so yeah. Uh, hi, my name's Jesse. I'll be uh, graduating with a uh, bachelor's in geology and math uh, in May, and I will be here for the next three years uh, doing law school, so. Hi, my name is Julie. I'm also graduating from the College of Nursing. Um, I'm not exactly sure which hospital I'm going to work at, but I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay, I almost didn't come out because I'm not graduating this semester, but I'm moving back home to Milton, Florida to get plugged back in with the University of West Florida BCM to start ministry back over there. And gonna follow from, when I graduate with my education degree, I'm gonna go to seminary. Don't know where yet, but that's where I'm going. As we'll let uh, Daniel come up and give those books to you guys. Um, you want to hand one of those to me just so I can show. Um, super influential book and can't recommend it enough, and it's called Don't Waste Your Life, <laughs> right? Which is 
important for you guys because we don't want you to waste your life. And so there you go, Josiah. Um, really, really good book, though. Read it. It's fantastic. It's one of the first books I ever read as a believer. Uh, I'm not joking when I say that outside of Scripture, that book probably has done more to transform the way I look at life and why we live here than just about any other book written by a man. We're going to have Pastor uh, Stephen pray over you guys and just pray that God would bless you guys in the next season of life. We're going to miss you guys are crazy, except for Jesse. I always love this time. Right? Like 90% of you guys leave, but God is faithful to leave one <laughs> here for us in Gainesville. Jesse, you've been chosen, right? Good to see you. Although if, you, if more of you want to stay, Gainesville needs Jesus-loving people to stick around for a while. But Stephen, will you pray? Yes. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for all of these blessings that you've given this church. These men and women who have been here for years, who have helped us to bring glory to your name, and helped us to share your message here in Gainesville. God, thank you for this calling that you've given us. You've called us out of darkness into light. You've called us to become a family with you as our head, as our father. God, you've called us to be witnesses throughout the world. God, help us to walk out that calling. Help us to live in a way that brings glory to your name. God, as these men and women go out, we commission them and send them out in your name as ambassadors to your glory. God, we send them as missionaries. We send them as engineers, as business people, as grad students, physicists, pharmacists, doctors, nurses, scientists, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, and geologists. God, may they be true to the calling that you have placed on your lives. Not some arbitrary calling to a particular profession, God, but the calling to righteousness and life and glory in your name. God, may they be witnesses for you in whatever city they end up at. God, may they be servants for you at whatever church they go to. God, help them as they go out from here to remain faithful to you, remain faithful to your calling, to not make shipwrecks of their faith. God, and to live fully as men and women who are devoted to your name, who are living every moment pointed towards you, following your path for their lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, um, if I can get somebody to turn the lights down and we'll invite the band back up. I'm going to lead us through um, communion this morning. If you haven't gotten the elements for communion yet, you can go ahead and go grab those. I mean, we're going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to actually lead us through um, our time of communion um, this morning. So communion, or as it's commonly referred to as the Lord's Supper, is a way to celebrate our intimate connection and ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus invites all his people who have trusted in him for salvation to partake in communion. Communion is our opportunity as the people of God to spend time in quiet meditation, considering and confessing our sins. Once we have confessed these sins, we partake in the bread and the juice as an act of worship. Communion is a reminder that Jesus freely gave his life so that we might be forgiven and adopted as God's children.
we take it not as an act of contrition and penance, but as worship, because in Christ we have been forgiven already. We also take the Lord's Supper as a foretaste to a future time where we will dine at the banquet feet of Christ in heaven. I'm going to lead us through a simple response time as we partake in communion as a church together. Will you bow your head right now and take this time to thank God for what he has done for you and to confess and repent of any sins that you can think of? Let's pray. Jesus' atoning work. He says this starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This time will you take the wafer that you've been provided and partake in the body of Christ. And in verse 25, he says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is my cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This time you may partake in the juice, being reminded that Christ's blood was poured out for you.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for communion and that it reminds us of the magnitude of your love for us and the way in which it encourages us to continuously worship you. Lord, will you send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and unity of heart. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.